You're listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons. Visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Be here with you, uh, friends and uh, friends online. I saw a couple of uh, new time guests there on Zoom. I want to say hi, friends. Good to have you guys. Um, I want to invite up a special friend, local expert, guru, uh, professor. Uh, Justin, you want to come on up and join us here? Yeah, come on. Come on. Why don't you take that seat? You're on the good side. Um, So uh, this is my friend, Justin Campbell. And uh, Justin, how long? Yeah, you can clap for that. I would clap for this guy. Um, How long have you been around City Church? Uh, January of last year. So right before things fell apart. Went haywire, yes. All right, all right. And you're a pretty regular attender. You come like once every six weeks or something? Maybe seven. Maybe seven. Seven to six to seven, yeah. Six to seven, all right. So he's like, he's like a regular guy here. Uh, like most of you. You're keeping track, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, right. yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. membership roles a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Um, what do you do? What, like, fill, what fills up your days? What, what, what's your normal kind of thing? Uh, lots of calls, uh, speaking to people, uh, specifically. So I'm a teacher professor, and then I also have a DEI practice, diversity, equity, inclusion. So my time is split 100% between both. So it's like 200% of both. So, yeah. 200% of both. And I believe you're a dad, too. Oh, yeah. Did I mention that? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's my other role. Yes. Yeah. All right. There you go. All right. So, uh, so this is Justin, and we're going to dive into this passage today where Jesus meets an interesting guy and has an interesting, super interesting interaction. So I'd like to invite up Emma Nishimoto to read scripture for us today. Come on up, Emma. So, and we around City Church, uh, we stand sometimes when we read scripture. Come on through. Oh, look at that. It's right there, right there. Um, And if you're at home, you can stand. You don't have to. Because that could feel weird. I mean, it kind of feels a little weird here, but we're doing it anyway. So uh, this is from Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Uh, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. People of God, this is the word of God. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Thanks, Emma. My fancy notes over here. Oh, we got this. So as we enter into this uh, passage today, Jesus runs into this guy, Zacchaeus, or Zacchaeus climbs a tree because he's short and can't see, 
And so he, he gets this look, he invites Jesus in. He has this big party of a bunch of sinners, um, kind of our kind of people. And, uh, and they're kind of throwing shade at Jesus. They're throwing shade at Zacchaeus. And, and Jesus is like, this is awesome. This, is, this, is, this guy is a, is a son of Abraham. Because one of these things that Zacchaeus says, right? Um, just want to repeat that. Zacchaeus stood up. And so he was a tax collector, right? So he had a lot of money. and been cheating people out of money for a long time. He said, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. What do you make of that? By the way, this is a, maybe a more a less traditional sermon, a little bit more conversation today. So what's, stand, what's standing out to you from this passage, from Zacchaeus, Jesus, this interaction? Talk to us. Well, Bill. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, uh, you know, so just, just to let you all know, we've talked. I don't know if that's obvious. Um, so if it sounds a little canned, it's not. It's actually, you know, we've talked about this a little bit. But when we first talked about this, the first thing that stood out to me about this, I mean, I've heard the story. Um, but why, like, why did he say that at the end? Like, did someone come through and was like, hey, you, you need to give like 50% and like, four, like, where do these numbers come from? That's the one thing we talked about, right? right. It was like, where do these numbers come from? And where do that? Where do you think the numbers come from? I have no idea. I mean, I just think it's I just think it's interesting, right? But I think to me, what stands out about Zacchaeus is like the mindset, right? The mindset, the understanding that something was done, people were harmed by my actions, so therefore something's got to be done to repair that. So in order to come, we talked about this, right? In order to come to the table, right? Maybe there needs to be some repair done. And I thought about my own personal relationships in which. There has been harm done. When that harm happens, it's hard for me to sit at the same table with somebody if there has not been that repair work that has happened. And that repair work isn't just I'm sorry. Because when there's things that have been taken, right, what does it look like to begin the process of asking the question of what is the amount, right, that would make things right? And so you have to give back the candy. <laughs> Well, maybe four times the amount of candy. No, I don't know. I'm not, no, I'm not saying that. I'm not yeah, saying that. Yeah, I don't that. know. We, we may have to discuss yeah, that. Kids we have not to like negotiate that, that yeah, number. Yeah, they wouldn't like that number. But yeah, <laughs> right? But at least the candy itself, right? at the very minimum. Well, and, and in this story, right? So Zacchaeus is here, and it's, I mean, there are a whole bunch of people at the table, right? Right. Right. So, and Jesus is always throwing big parties. So Zacchaeus is going to be hanging around with all kinds of people who are now at the table with Zacchaeus who has done them harm. Right. Um, talk that, to me a little bit. So why, oh, go ahead. I, was gonna say, I, I wouldn't want to sit at the same table as that dude. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Like if that, like if that dude took my money, like I don't want to have dinner with him. Yeah. That's how I would feel. Yeah. Right. Well, we're going to come back to that. So, Jesus seems to bring up money a lot. Is that have you noticed that? I mean, you're a Bible guy. Um, kind of. No, I'm just kidding. Yes. Uh, yeah. Mean, no. You've been around. You've read the book. Like, yeah. why is the problem? Why does this stuff keep coming up so much? Help us understand the context that where he's growing up and a little bit of that. Yeah. Um, I think so. There's a there's a book. Um, oh, I'm blanking on the name of it. Wow. Okay. Well, there's a book that, that, um, by Oberheim Hendricks, which, oh, uh, politics of Jesus. That's what it's called. 
Um, and it really gets into the, the socioeconomical political world that Jesus lived in, right? And how Nazareth was like, he, Obrey Hendricks, who teaches at Union um, Theological Seminary, talks about how Jesus was like, the Nazareth was like one of the poorest parts of the Roman Empire, right? Roving bands of poor people, you know, like mass torture, things happening like that. So it was a really, wasn't great, right? Uh, very high different uh, uh, spacing out between wealthy uh, and the poor, right? Uh, resources are not allocated fairly. Um, probably the top 1%. Anyways, I'm not going to get into that right now. But you know what I'm saying? Like wealth was not allocated equally. And so um, he argues that Jesus kind of saw this. And we, and we talk about how um, sometimes I don't think we think about that aspect of it, right? That Jesus was not, you know, rolling in the dough, as they say, right? He wasn't just walking around with tons of money and the people who followed him were not the wealthy, right? Um, and so I think money was a big way of looking at who got what, where, when, and why. Resources are a way of looking at who gets what, where, when, and why. And so I think that seems to be maybe why it was so important because that's how people eat. That's how people survive is through these resources. Well, and there's a sense too, which, right, the, the people Jesus is talking to have heard these promises over and over again, like, hey, you're going to enter into a land of milk and honey. Like, they're, they're, you're going to enter into this sort of season of goodness and provision, like God is, God is going to take care of you. And then they end up in Nazareth and in Galilee, where all of a sudden there's this massive divide between rich and poor. And Jesus decides he's just going to speak to that issue. There's a there's a passage in uh, in uh, Justin pointed this out when, when we had a conversation a couple of weeks ago. There's a passage in Deuteronomy that forecasts the kind of mindset that theoretically the people of God were going to have. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 15. Listen to this. It says, "At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. There need be no poor people among you." For in the land the Lord your God is giving you, this land of milk and honey, he will richly bless you. No poor people. There'll be no poor people in the land because God wants to bless you. And you'll cancel all the debts. What do you, what do you make of that? Well, Bill, I have a question for you. <laughs> Which comes first? The blessings or the canceling of the debt? I feel a little awkward right now, right? I mean, this is, I don't know if you're, you're picking up what, what the scripture's putting down, but there are certain parallels to our world today in a land of opportunity, in a Christian nation, right, where we honor the scriptures, and in a church where theoretically there are no poor, this idea of canceling debts and this idea of, of blessing passed all around, like, what do we do with that? And what comes first, the blessing or the canceling of the debts? Awkward silence. So let's think a little bit about history. Um, 
let's talk about um, reparations, the historical background, some of the stuff in terms of the origins of our nation, um, vision, values, and, and, and how we got to some of the conversations we're having, just beginning to have today. That, that's your turn. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a big, uh, that's a big <laughs> setup. Um, no, uh, you know, we just got done with 4th of July, you know, um, and I will be frank with you, 4th of July is a difficult holiday for me. Um, and one of the things I was thinking about recently was this, this disparity, right, between the 4th of July and the Constitution. So the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. So 4th of July, de you know, Declaration of Independence, we have this very values-based document, right? All men are created equal, right? If you look at the Enlightenment at that time, like these are like high value ideals. Life, Think, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, right? All people, all men, meaning people, right, are created equal. Uh, there's a lot of promise in that, right? There's a lot of potential. There's a lot of like, wow, that sounds really cool. I'd like to be a part of that. Like if we could do that for everybody, that'd be dope. And then you have 11 years later, right? And you have the Constitutional Convention. And you have the same people that wrote that document saying it's okay to have slaves and women can't vote and only white landowning men can, can vote and, you know, run the... So what happened between, right? I, and I, and we, we talked about this, right? Because there's a difference between the values that were espoused in that initial document and the values that ended up making up the way the system got built. And there's an issue there because if we look back on that and just say, well, that was their fault, right? That's just something they did. They were the bad people, right? The question for me becomes, in what ways am I doing the same thing in my own life? It's the difference between aspirational values and what some people have called shadow values, right? The aspirational values is, you know, a year ago, lots of organizations, lots of people make lots of statements at the death of George Floyd and say, hey, we believe in equality, equity, justice, all these things. But then shadow values are what actually get played out when we make job hires and we think about how we do housing, loans, and all sorts of practical things like that. Yeah, I would say specifically with my work, shadow values really come up and this goes back to your previous question, when we start talking about money, especially in this society, everything's cool until you start writing checks. Everything's cool until somebody says, hey, let's create this new position. Everything's cool until I got to make a choice about how I spend my money, how that gets allocated, right? Uh, Martin Luther King said, uh, budgets are moral documents because it really tells you know, the person looking at it, what the priorities are, what we, what do we truly value? We can do all the talking, right? But when it comes down to where the money's going, that says a lot about who we value and why. And that, and that's a national budget, governmental budget. That's a church budget. And that's your budget. That's my budget. What do we value? Are we willing to look at our money and ask some really questions can i tell a story no oh, come on thank you bill 
Um, so I recently what, had. Am I going to say no? Yeah, right. No, uh, no, you can't. Let's move on. It's better to ask for permission, though. In my in my case, sometimes. Um, I I recently got in a conversation with another dad. Um, I'm a co-parent, and so that's part of my story. But the way my week is broken up is that I have like three days where I don't have the kids, and then five, two to five days where I do, right? Two to four days. So I cram all my work into those first three days, right? Um, and that's why I'm on calls all day, like from like nine to five, you know. Uh, just, but it's a lot of energy output, right? Um, and so I was having a conversation with another dad and we we're talking about, um, you know, when you do your budget for the month, right? Um, you usually allocate money for groceries, right? Or for the utilities or whatever. You make sure that you got those things covered because if you don't have those things covered, then oops, you know, it's a big oops, right? Um, but what does it look like to have an energetic budget, right? I was asking myself this, this, this question because I found my, I find myself actively, right. Getting to the days where I have my kids and it's like, I have no energy left. So a budget around your, your personal energy. Right. And so it really brought up my therapist was like, okay, what do you value? Oh, I value my kids. I'm a dad. I love my kids. That's right. But am I allocating my energy to be able to spread through the, right. So the shadow value that comes up for me is like, I got to make money. I got to provide, I got, right. And so the question becomes, which of the, which values am I going to make this decision through? My therapist always says, what would a person who values their family do with their time? How would they allocate that? How would they, and so that, that's just a very, that's a real like current, like I'm like, I don't know the answer to that question. Right. But that's, that's a per very personal example of this idea of, shadow values and or you know the values we state versus the values that actually run the decisions we make um and the ways in we allocate not just time or not just money but time and energy yeah really good really good um i want to shift a little bit and just ask this this question right i mean i'm a i'm a white guy notice that um, we've talked about it okay yeah and uh and so i am not a white guy Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so like this was a long time ago, slavery, all that, like, I mean, but I mean, we're good now. Right. Well, that's the, that's, that's literally the question I get all the time. Right. Uh, or the question I flip it with when I talk to like execs, especially in leadership. And I say, so, you, you know, they ask me like with the DEI stuff, okay, so we got to hire these people. We got to get our quotas, right. We got to da, 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 da. And I say to them, this is the question my mentor taught me. Um, how will you know when the work is done? When it comes to this justice stuff, this DEI stuff, how will you know when the work is finished? When are we, when are we, when are we done? When have we had enough? When have we done enough? Why do you like that question? I like that question, but I'm asking, why do you like it? I think it draws to the forefront, the reality that this isn't about, you know, in the in the corporate world, KPIs, OKRs, right? They're not about these goals that we can hit, check off the box, check the box, and then we're done. We did it, right? It's about a posture, a way of positioning ourselves in relationship to the everyday. How do we show up in embodied form with the people that we work with, live with, love? are in church with well and i, I like the question because it's an invitation for us to think yeah well, when is the work done 
what role do I have now? What does it look like for the king? You know, we, we pray this prayer sometimes. God, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What does it look like to participate in the answer to that prayer? When is that work done? What's my job in that today? How do I think about reparations nationally, locally as a church, individually? So when I talk about race and specifically race, and I focus on race, and there's, and I think that I used to be like, oh, I need to focus on everything, but this is, I mean, there's a lot to focus on that we could be talking about. This is what I focus on. So I'm not saying it's the only thing, but it's the thing I focus on. Just saying that. Um, but I think specifically in this country, race is this abyss. Think of like the Grand Canyon, right? But like bottomless and pitch black, right? It's a this abyss that we kind of like. We circle around, but we don't ever like look into it. Because if we were to actually look into it and we would see the, the, the bottomless feeling aspect of it, right? We wouldn't know what to do, right? We, and it would reflect back to us a bit about who we are. And then we would know what to do about that. And so it's like, that's kind of, I think when we begin to ask that question, that this feeling of like, oh no, this is, whoa, this is maybe bigger than I, whoa, I, I wasn't, I, I didn't sign up for all this. This is, right, that feeling, that that kind of panic of like, maybe I won't be able to fix this in my lifetime panic, right? I think that's also what people begin to see. And I think that's actually a good thing because it took us a long time to get here, right? Those decisions made in that sweltering courtroom in 1789, right? Or whenever that was, I forget the exact year, right? At the moment, but are we still feeling the effects of that today? They did this thing called, you know, the, you know, the compromise and, you know, we, we can talk about that, but they also did some things about how voting works to make a compromise for, so the Southern states would stay in the union. That voting thing is why we have the presidents that we, you know, right? So these things are still affecting us. And so I always ask the question like, that, that question leads us into thinking, what decisions am I making, right? Right, for Finn. What decisions am I making for Finn's grandkids? Because they're gonna live in a world that I help create just like those people did in that room. And so that's why that question stretches us out beyond our own lifetime. Yeah, and I will say personally that issues of race and justice are, are things that I for decades have put on the back burner because it's been too scary for me. It's like, it's too big. It's too big. I, it's going to, I'm going to break apart. You know, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And, uh, you know, and I would say the last five years have just been this incredible gift to, to say, it's okay. Enter in. Enter into the pain, to the lament. Face truth. Um, there's a lot of learning to do. There's a lot of change to bring. Um, go on the journey, find some friends, do some learning. But um, uh, we're we're not actually here to answer all these questions today. We're, you know, I told Justin. I said, Justin, I want you to nail reparations in like 20 minutes. You got that? <laughs> yeah, and I said, no, no way. And I actually <laughs> said, you know, I think. Growing up in the church, there's a kind of, especially as you know, a black man, there's a kind of like fear that 
this will be the last time we talk about this, so I got to get it all in at one time. Right? <laughs> go big, man. Go big. Like I told Bill, like every we all have to hit a grand slam every time. Sometimes you just need to get on base. That's a baseball reference. Um, if, I don't really watch baseball, but obviously, you know, I wanted to speak speak Bill's language. Um, you know, but it's like we don't have to. Oh, you don't have to get everything. You know, complete. And I think that's also part of what that question does. Is it act? You know, it shows us that this work is something that is everyday embodiment work as opposed to like let me just you know fix it and get it over with so in the spirit of just sort of having an open-ended conversation encourage you to keep talking we'll be there'll be resources in the city church devotionals which you can find on our webpage. Uh, you can also subscribe to those um, we send those out monday through friday uh, around reparations uh, there'll be an article from justin in it uh, a five-minute clip from Don Nisi Coates uh, before the Senate, a couple other things that would be really helpful if you'd like to start to learn a little bit more uh, this coming week. And I'd like to invite Erica 